seen until you let go of what is seen. I'm talking about your money. Popped up on Dayquil and uh, oh no, I'm good. It's like a cold from hell. I got it. Uh, I guess I don't know. Colds don't usually involve like pooping water, though. Oh. As far as I recall. <laughs> I'm glad we got that on tape. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome people to If You Catch My Grift. I'm Dalton, and the guy you hear laughing at my misery is Austin. Hello. <laughs> this is the podcast where I slowly chip away at my buddy Dalton's sense of innocence and positivity <laughs> uh, and optimism <laughs> because I just am going to ruin him with stories of all these terrible people. <laughs> Don said, there's good in the world. And also said, you just wait, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> you mean there was good in the world. You just met me, <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> so how has your week been, man? It has been, honestly, it sounds well, like it's actually, been a, it's been a couple of weeks, years. hasn't it? Yeah, it's been, no. When did we, re- yeah, two weeks. Yeah, it's been a couple of weeks. It's been two weeks since we recorded this before. We're on our new recording schedule. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, well, it's been better than yours, man. You have been sick as a dog. Yeah, um, I went to Cleveland to a couple of uh, wrestling shows with some friends, and I came back uh, Monday, and I thought I brought COVID back to Georgia with me. And COVID was already in Georgia. You wouldn't have brought well, it back. <laughs> uh, oh, well, I'll talk about that later, but. Uh, I went to the doctor and they said, I'm negative for COVID. I got tested. They said, I'm negative for COVID. And I was like, well, what's wrong with me? And they're like, well, there's a lot of things that can make you sick. And I just looked at them like dumbfounded. And I was like, (laughs) well, tell me. (laughs) Excuse me. I'm sorry. I'll mute that from now on. But uh, yeah, man, it's been a rough ride. And this is your dedication to this podcast is that you're like, I'm sick, but I'm sick. I still want to record. I still want to broadcast. And I Brother, even I was early dying at one o'clock in the morning editing Lou for Oman. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I don't like you to die for the edit. This isn't worth it. We're not. This is not our our full time job. But thank you for editing it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, maybe one day it will be. So <laughs> that's yeah. the goal. <laughs> uh, well, I'll shout this out at the beginning of the episode. I'm recording a podcast later today with our friend Veronica uh, over at X Over. And we're going to talk about all a bunch of uh, Cleveland shenanigans. So if you're interested in the story of my trip to Cleveland, go ahead and check out uh, our friends over at X Over. And- and she'll probably post this before ours is up. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it should be live by the time you're hearing this for the first time. Yeah. Dalton takes Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I remember when I first met you, we were talking about the possibility of going to Cleveland. You're like, man, I'm never going to be able to do that. I'm never going to be able to afford it. I'm not going to do it. You just booked your third plane ticket to Cleveland this no, year. No, I have not booked my third plane ticket to Cleveland. We're going to see on that. I just bought the okay. ticket to the show. Uh, uh, okay. Our friend of the podcast, Dominic Garini, is wrestling. Uh, fuck, man. Like Japanese wrestling legend, Minoru Suzuki. Minoru Suzuki. The <laughs> scary grandfather. Scary grandfather. Which is, that's wrestling. nuts, right? That's fucking insane, right? 
<laughs> I like Ed's theory though, and I've been saying this as if I th- I know it's a hundred percent true, but I don't really care because you know all I do is talk about liars, so why not participate every once in a while? But uh, Ed's theory is that they uh, booked all these older Japanese stars so they can come over here and get the vaccine while they're here because vaccination rates in Japan is so low. You know what? I wouldn't doubt it. I think it's a brilliant idea. I just don't see that many wrestling promoters actually agreeing on anything. And, you know, like being so organized yeah. that they could get everything. But if that is the case, and there is a real big upswing uh, in Japanese talent coming into the U.S. Yeah, but, yeah. And it's, it's, but it's all the older dudes that are coming over. Yeah, I got Kojima, Suzuki. Yeah. Uh, who else has came? Um, um, oh, my God. Who uh, wrestled Moxley already? He's wrestling another one, but he wrestled one previously. Um, oh my god i'm gonna kill myself for not knowing yeah, i drawing a blank where i shouldn't be i knew him he, i watched him in wcw yuji nagata yes yuji nagata my internet okay. connection's quicker than yours sorry I beat you. <laughs> <laughs> oh man excuse me but uh what can i talk about i've watched uh all three jurassic park movies this for has the been first a time this yeah. has actually been a journey because that's a it's a favorite in this household. We have uh, we have seen it when it came. They played it in the theater, the original. They re released it in the theater. And we went to go see that. It is um, yeah on high repeat in in this Brooklyn apartment. Well, yeah, I watched it for the first time. I watched the Jurassic Park one for the first time uh, earlier in the week, and I've just like been marathoning through all three movies. And I got to say, my favorite is number three. I kind of I. I really like three. I don't know if it it outdoes the first one. And, you know, I think there's something really special about the first one, but I really like three. Well, all three movies are good. Jurassic Park one is very good. Jurassic Park two is basically care. Godzilla. Yeah. And <laughs> Jurassic Park three is like, well, you got the drama with like with the lost kid and the guy that doesn't want to go back to where he almost died. <laughs> and, you know, I don't know. It's just really good. You got, a good kid having like a bad judgment call with taking the raptor eggs. Now, I don't know. It's just, there's a lot of like moral uh, dilemma in that movie. And I really, really like it. So wait, are you going to, do you have a like plans for another marathon? Like with a bunch of like a franchise? I'm, I'm going to finish uh Jurassic park out first and watch okay. the so new uh, yeah, Jurassic world and whatever the second one is. Yep. And then you got, then what you got to do, the stuff at the last one gets wild. <laughs> like it just goes in directions that I was like, I wasn't really prepared for that. Um, I think here's my vote for you. You don't have to listen to me, but they're about to all hit Netflix, all four of them. The Jaws movies. I don't know, man. There's nothing scary about a shark. No, it's it, but I think the, the first one's excellent. I mean, it's incredibly well made. But there's no, I mean, Jurassic Park's not scary. Oh, bullshit. Jurassic Park 1 was terrifying. <laughs> that you, didn't was... Watch, you didn't watch it with Harlan, did you? Yeah. She came in the room halfway through. Like We were watching it like 1 o'clock in the morning, and she was supposed to be like very asleep. And she woke up halfway through it and just sat on the couch. She was like, ooh, mommy dinosaurs. <laughs> and she did not realize these people were dying. Yeah. Horrible, horrible deaths. Yeah, the raptors are scary. <laughs> um. Yeah, jaw, the, I'm t- the Jaws movies, all four of them. I, I I dig them. They just get like more and more out there with every every sequel. I thought about watching uh, the Predator movies. I've never seen them either. Ooh, or Rainbow. Good, there's like there's there's two, and then they take a bunch of time off, and then they started remaking them. 
Well, it's an alien and predator. I want to watch both franchises oh, okay. and then go into like the versus movies. That's a lot. That's a lot of movies, especially yeah. the alien. There's a bunch of alien movies. Nothing will beat the first one though. Uh, some people will argue that the second one is as good, if not better. I don't think so. The first one's just perfect. Yeah, man. Uh, I'm trying to think what else. College football is back, baby. Let's go. Go Knowles. FSU in this household all day. Uh, 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 beat Notre Dame. Okay, okay. I'm sorry. I had to get out of my system. <laughs> you beat. That's my. So my grandmother was a big Catholic, and she didn't really like sports. She had nothing, but she used to say that Notre Dame was her favorite team because they were the Catholic college <laughs> that was the only reason she cared about him you're an lsu boy right i not really i mean i guess maybe that's the closest but i didn't go to i didn't go to lsu i didn't go to a, a school with a team i didn't either it's just an institution in the south yeah. college I, football i keep up more with pro ball and by more i mean i just pay a little bit of attention to pro <laughs> ball but i don't i don't really that's not my that, that don't watch that i watch tennis uh, you know, other than wrestling, I watch probably more tennis than anything else. Okay, okay, okay. That's and that comes from down south because my aunts and uncles all love tennis, so it kind of was always around that. Pete Sampras. Oh, y'all, y'all those uh, uppity southerners. I yeah, got you. We, we them city <laughs> folks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I say I never. I would never. <laughs> I mean, Shreveport's not the most rural place. I mean, it's a little metropolitan area. <laughs> um, but yeah. Well, you want to jump in on this? Yeah, we'll man. Just, let's go. Let's, let's just go. Because right, I got a, I think I have a fun one today, and I'm not, I'm not going to preface it too much because I just want to get into the story, and I, and I don't think you know anything about this woman that we're talking about. Um, I have zero clue on what we're going to do today. Great, great. And I will just say right away, writing this episode made me want to throw a book across the room at several points. So I, I, I might get a little heated. But we're going to get through the story because today we are talking about Dorothy Allison. You still don't know who that is. That's no clue. <laughs> Let's take a walk down the yellow brick road. Let's do it. All right. So, dear Dorothy uh, was born in Jersey City, New Jersey, which is a nice town. I've been there a few times. It's really very, very close to Manhattan. So New Jersey. New Jersey. Um, on December 29th, 1924. Um, and from a very young age, she knew that she had a psychic gift. Um, she was the child of a seer, so it was something that ran in the family. So her mom was a psychic, and now little Dorothy, who's one of 13 children, is also a psychic. All right, so let's just get this out of the way in the opening. <laughs> is psychic ability something you believe in? Do you think it's possible? Uh, No. <laughs> <laughs> But let's 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 put that on the bench for a minute while I tell you about kind of her trajectory and and her her career that she um, managed to to have for God, almost close to thirty years, a little bit lo longer oh, wow. than thirty years. So she was around for a while. Um, so her earliest recollection, and this is a story that she really liked to tell a lot, um, of having psychic ability happened when she was fourteen. Um, she had a vision of her dad, uh, dying and within two weeks he died. And so it really kind of shook her and her mom sort of took her aside and was like, you know, 
don't use your psychic powers to make money. You have a gift, but you need to, you know, this is a gift from God. You, you shouldn't go and exploit people. And so Dorothy really took that to heart. Like, she's like, I'm not, not taking money for this. And, and she doesn't, to her credit. Hey, Dorothy, you got these gifts. <laughs> so, <laughs> you can't um, use these gifts for evil. You can use it for good. You can use these gifts for good. <laughs> it wasn't until almost 30 years later that her psychic abilities kind of flared up again. On December 3rd, 1967, Dorothy woke up from a vision that shook her to her very core. She'd seen flashes of a young boy trapped in a pipe with black hands. The vision was so powerful that she bursts a blood vessel in her right eye. So she sits up. It's 6 a.m. She's like this. She's just freaking out because of this, you know, the psychic vision that she has of this this boy, uh, assuming dead, it trapped in a pipe. It's something of a horror movie. It's really terrifying, actually. Um, she pleaded with her husband to believe her. He just told her to go back to sleep and that she'd had a nightmare. Um, <laughs> Don't, I'm only bleeding from my eyeball. Right. Well, so, I mean, it just, just, it's like bloodshot and red. So he's, just, I'm, listen, I mean, if he'd been married to that woman for a long time, I'm sure he's like, just please go back to sleep. Like, I don't want to talk about this right now. Like, we do this all the time. <laughs> That's kind of what I picture. And they're just going, no, you have to believe me. There's a child in a pipe. <laughs> help, help. Timmy's stuck in a well. <laughs> very, very big lassie of, you know, Jersey City, New Jersey. Actually, at this point, she's living in Nutley, New Jersey. Um, and so, not Jersey City. Hell of a name. Love that I name. I knew you were going to have a comment for that. <laughs> So she, when he says he says go to sleep, she's she goes down and starts consulting consulting her astrological charts because she's really big into astronomy. That's part of her psychic makeup of things. Um, what she didn't know was that two hours after she had that vision, so she'd had the vision before all this happened. Um, Michael Kariskis, I think that's how you say this name. Um, and his older brother left their house, and that would be the last time that Michael's parents ever saw him, and he was only five years old. Oh, no. So yeah. this is a real boy. This is a real boy. This is, okay. Everything in this story is real. Well, not everything, but yeah, this is all based on real stuff. Okay. Um, the police spent a few weeks searching the area that the boy went missing, uh, including the river that he was playing near, but they never found a body. So they searched the river and there's just, there's a lot of rivers in New Jersey and they all have to go somewhere. So it's like rivers <laughs> connect to p- ponds and lakes and, right. you know, eventually end up in, in, uh, the ocean. So they could not find the boy. Um, and meanwhile, Dorothy is continuing to receive all these visions about the boy. Um, you know, she she had a vision that he has blue eyes, uh, that the number eight was somehow involved with this, and that his body was in a heavily wooded area. Why do all psychic visions have to be so vague? Well, uh, we'll get to that. <laughs> okay, okay, so this is another part. Of, okay. Yeah. Um, when she finally mustered up the will to talk to the police, they were pretty skeptical, understandably. They, right. you know, police... Psychics kind of come out of the woodwork at high-profile cases. Now, this was not a high-profile case, but still, here's this like little old lady who's you know a housewife and a mother of three people coming into this police station, going, "I saw a vision of this boy, um, and and he's he's stuck in a pipe and he drowned, and I I, I can help you find his body." It's like when you win the lottery and your cousins start coming out of the woodwork. Exactly. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All that family you didn't know you had. Um. You know, the chief of police in Nutley, New Jersey, wanted nothing to do with her. 
But there was an officer there by the name of Don, and he goes by Vic uh, Vicaro, Don Vicaro, uh, who really became a true believer and kind of humored her at first, kind of just a joke. And then right. the more he talked to her, the more he was like, "Go, oh, this this woman, she's, she's, she knows something. She's got a gift. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's a good thing you don't smoke anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, you know, she starts to give him more details. She says now that he was wearing a green snowsuit and that he had his shoes on the wrong feet. And she was very, very sure that he was stuck in a pipe. Okay. Like a drainage pipe or something. The, um, the investigation basically consisted of Vic driving Dorothy around Nutley, hoping that something like. A, a like a scene or a place or some location would spark her her memory. She even met the the boy's mother at one point, hoping that that would give her some sort of a reading. God, what? How traumatized does that have to be? Yeah. Like your son's missing, and then this lady claiming to be a psychic comes up to you asking you questions about your possibly dead son. Yeah, yeah. And at this Ugh. point, I mean, he's been gone over a month. I think everybody at this point has kind of accepted the fact that this kid is dead and not, right. you know, which is you're planning a funeral at that point. Yeah, or maybe we've already had it. Um, I, I'm not sure about that with her. Um, she began seeing the number 120 in addition to the other earlier number 8. So there's all these like weird numerology things going on. And she was insistent that his body would be found behind a school. Um, also, other clues that came up, such as a parking lot behind a factory, something to do with lumber, and something to do with gold lettering. So, again, so vague. That could be anything. That can mean anything. <laughs> yep. Gold lettering on a window could be anything. Um, at one point that she said that she claimed that she was standing on top of the pipe that the boy was lodged in. The police uh, ended up spending all day digging up this drainage pipe because there was a drainage pipe where she was, but there was no body underneath. Hmm. Interesting. Um, it wasn't until a year later, a year passed. In uh, February of 1968, a man looking to bury his family's dead cat would stumble upon the body of young Michael. It was not in a pipe. It was floating on a pond. However, he was wearing a green snowsuit. And while his galoshes were on the right feet, the underboots were not. So that was okay. she was talking about his shoes. Um, the main investigator was notified at 1.20 in the afternoon. which is, there's, there's your number. Um, the body was found uh, near elementary school PS8. That's They do that here in these. They just call them PS and give them a number, public school, and then a number. Oh, that's weird. So there's the number eight um, on the riverbank across the street from a lumberyard, which was next door to an office building with gold lettering on the window. Why would she get all these clues about where he's dead at? Why couldn't she get clues to where he's alive? <laughs> well, that's... That's that is a problem. Then it's like she, yeah, she's much better at finding the dead people. Finding um, them after they die. Yeah, she was also the. It was also directly across the river uh, from a factory parking lot. So mm. a lot of a lot of the claims that she made turned out to be real, right? Maybe I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> right. Okay. I'm, I'm intrigued. <laughs> so after the fact, she um, Dorothy actually ended up paying for the burial because Michael's parents couldn't afford that. So that's kind of like. Not only was she there to try and find this body, but she also ends up paying for the funeral out of her own pocket, which, you know, she's a nice little lady. And that's not going to change. Like, she's always kind of this nice little lady. That's 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 a big okay. theme. And I think that that's actually part of the reason that people trust her. But we'll we'll get more into that. Okay. Um, so, so Dorothy, that's, so far, I like her. Yep. 
that's, that's how they all start, doesn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> I'm Team Dorothy right now. Um, I don't so know. This, Lou Pearl, but I hate it. Jump. <laughs> you were like, no, you were good with the blimps. You were down with the blimps. Oh, yeah. Blimps were cool. Yeah. Yeah, you're blimps. right. You're you right. Were, it started in the second episode where you were like, no, no, this guy sucks. <laughs> <laughs> um. So the first this this is a big case for her. It's a lot of publicity, and it sort of this is what starts her reputation as a, a psychic that police can rely on to help them with cases that they're having trouble. Um, by her own account, this work was harrowing, um, and this is actually from her autobiography, which is the book that I wanted to throw across the room. Um, <laughs> although saddened and often sickened by the sight of the victims, whether child or adult. Dorothy believed that finding a body and therefore being able to have a funeral were as comforting as anything else that might be done. She came to feel that a funeral at least put an end to the torture and the concluding rite, and as a concluding rite, sorry, um, helped some faltered families begin to reestablish a more normal pattern and sometimes brought them closer to God again. In the period between the Michael case and her work on the Phyllis Thompson murder, she gradually leaned to render her own sadness into positive energy and focus her objectives, finding the victim and then, if possible, the culprit. Okay. Yeah, so this is, this is the other part of it. She said, waiting in Dorothy's mind was torture. Part of her mission in her new life, she hoped, would be the, in, the inter- interminable period of waiting, speculation, and false hope for the parents of missing children. She saw firsthand how parents were destroyed by the lack of resolve, never knowing if their child ran away for emotional reasons or was abducted. As long as there remained a chance that word would come of the missing child, parents always kept the fire of hope alive. Dorothy felt, particularly if she saw the victim dead, that hope was another ingredient to the torture. So she, by her own admission, is like, if I tell them their kid is dead, they're going to be better for it. Okay, well, I mean... That's arguable. I don't know. Yeah, I got mixed feelings on that. Well, I just think the only thing I think about that is like, what if she's wrong? Yeah, yeah. You spend like all this time thinking your kid's dead and then they show up on your doorstep like five years later. What are you supposed to do? Right. And she she's sort of in the book and I didn't write this down, but in the book, she defends this by talking about how um, someone had called her about their missing son. And she said that, you know, she's like, your son isn't dead. You, you know, it's he's just missing. He will come back. He Something happened to him, but he's going to come back. Um, and I don't know how much of this to believe, but the, the mother said, no, he's dead. We can't we can't live like this. Like, I can't stand waiting and, and w- waiting for him to come home. We're going to plan the funeral. And apparently they planned the funeral. And two weeks later, he showed up after having suffered from amnesia and didn't know where, what had happened oh, to him, okay. what was going on. So I think that's that, that story is part of the reason that she was like, Oh, if I get the sense that they're dead, they're dead. Yeah. But well, you know, he ain't dead, is, just got a concussion. Right, <laughs> just hit his head. Um, he, it's just, it's, it, I don't know. I, this is also coming from her, her own autobiography that she co-wrote. So I feel like if there were cases where she told somebody their kid was dead and they weren't dead, she wouldn't put she that in the book. Definitely <laughs> fit out of the book. <laughs> so uh, she also mentions Phyllis Thompson in that passage, and we're going to just talk really quickly about her. I'm just going to hit on some of her cases so that you can kind of see where what she what she's all about. Um, so the Phyllis Thompson murder that Dorothy mentions, this is actually um, Phyllis's mother wrote a letter to Dorothy thanking her basically for helping solve the case and and Dorothy published it in her book and it said 
Um, Mrs. Allison told me she saw Phyllis being forced into a car, raped, struck three times with a heavy object, and drowned. All of these things were indeed found to be true. She further described a cemetery where the man took the body. It was the very cemetery the body was actually taken to. Mrs. Allison said that the murderer's name was Krug. She gave his birthday and said he was short with powerful arms. He was an ex-convict. He'd even hurt his leg the last time he was in jail. The police found all of this was indeed the case when Krug was arrested. So, indeed, this guy, and the guy who was convicted of killing uh, Phyllis Thompson, was named Frederick Krug, and he was arrested and charged with the murder. So, Okay. All right. She's got well, some wins. Yeah, she's got some wins under her belt. So, I mean, I'll, just, I'll throw this out there right now. Psychics, I don't necessarily believe they're real, but I'm open to the possibility. All right. Well, that's good. That's all I can ask in this episode. Okay. All right. Because this is this is like a this is a, a a lane that we haven't really talked about yet on the show, but this is one of my like. But it's very like, interesting. One of my sweet spots that I really really enjoy and also hate. But uh, you know, like, well, I love <laughs> anything paranormal. Like right, <laughs> like straight up my alley. Yep. So that's this is there's going to be a, there's already a few psychics that I have like on the on the table for writing about on down the road. Caesar Million. He's not a psychic. He was a dog tamer. He's a dog psychic, right? He's a dog no, whisperer. No, psychiatrist or psychologist. That's what he is. He had a show called The Dog Whisperer. Yeah, but it was just treat. Did you ever see it? No, I just thought he spoke no, he to dogs. No, he didn't speak to dogs. He just trained dogs. And he was like a behaviorist. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> My bad, y'all. <laughs> so have you, I, I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Have you ever heard of Patty Hearst? No. All right. So um, Patty Hearst in 1974 was kidnapped by the Symbionese Liberation Army. Um, they are a left-wing guerrilla group that was based out of California. And Patty Hearst was an heiress to the Hearst Corporation fortune. So she is trying to get some money for the revolution, baby. Yep. Yep. That's exactly what it was. Uh, it's a really famous story. It's a really kind of a wild and interesting story. I'm not going to get too much into the details because there's plenty of podcasts that have covered this and probably better than I could. But, um, yeah, it was a huge, huge story at the time. I mean, everybody. Was my mic on when I blew my nose? It was for just a second. Fuck. Okay. Sorry. It's <laughs> all right. You can, you can mess with it. Um, yeah, so like I said, the SLA were a left-wing guerrilla group in California. They were responsible for at least one assassination, um, a spree of bank robberies, and the kidnapping of Patty Hearst. Um, the SLA wanted Hearst's father to purchase $70 worth of food for every needy Californian, uh, which would end up costing the father, if he had did it and he didn't, uh, would cost him something like $400 million. So that's what they were. Good. <laughs> Keep up the good work, baby. <laughs> Sadly, it doesn't last long. When you rob, when, when you rob banks, they come after you pretty hard. Um, and there is some debate as to whether or not Patty joined the group voluntarily. Like everybody kind of thinks that she joins Ooh. it voluntarily, but then when they get busted, she quickly goes, "No, they 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 tortured me and they raped <laughs> me and they locked me in the closet." So I, I I I don't know. I don't know. There's also some weirdness with the CIA involved with this group and like well, that is, now that's interesting. <laughs> yes, and that's like would I don't feel like I could probably cover properly, but there's plenty of places that you can go to right. to hear more about it. Um so 4 days after her disappearance, her father, Randolph Hearst, reached out to Dorothy directly about trying to help find his daughter. 
Dorothy says that she'd never heard of Randolph or Patty Hearst, which is, I think, that cannot be true because the coverage was on every TV station across the country. Like, this was a huge national story in 1974. There is no way that Dor- unless she just didn't have a TV, which I find very hard to believe, like that a little suburban Nutley, New Jersey, <laughs> you know, house would not have a TV in it. But regardless, since she didn't know, um, and he offered to fly her to California and pay her whatever she wanted. And she responded, and this is a quote, I don't take money, Mr. Hearst. There's no price for a child. Ooh, okay. So she's sticking to that. I'm not taking money. Good for Dorothy. Yeah, she's not, she doesn't do it. Um, after all that, she did eventually agree to be flown to San Francisco with her pal, her new pal, Officer Vic. The guy, not the dude from the first story, from the missing nice. child story. Okay, so they're lifelong um, friends. Yeah, they actually, she's a couple of, two police officers in Nutley that kind of become her little sidekicks in all these adventures. That's so interesting. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, she didn't feel very much from Patty while she was there, but she insisted that since she, that she was still alive and was being kept in a small dark room somewhere. Um, after she was in San Francisco, she returned back to New Jersey and didn't really have anything like she was she was going cold on the patty Hearst case um later in july of that month this all happened in february now we're in july she was investigating another case in pennsylvania and she got a sense that patty was nearby so she phones the fbi to tell them that patty was hiding in pennsylvania and then she was going to new york city and at the time the fbi didn't act on it but a year later, when she was finally found, Dorothy's visions were validated. Dorothy even predicted that Patty would join her captors in robbing a bank, which is very true. That happened. It was a huge trial. Um, Patty Harrison ended up going to jail, uh, was sentenced to 35 years in jail. Um, oh, wow. Was, that was uh, commuted to seven. She was released by Jimmy Carter and then pardoned later by Bill Clinton because she comes from a very wealthy and powerful family and you can rob a bank and still get out of jail if you have money (laughs) man god it's a wild story um and actually what i did learn that i didn't know about patty hearst is that she appears in one of my all-time favorite movies ever i had no idea she was this character she's in the movie serial mom huh which i'm sure sure you haven't seen (laughs) she's an actress there yeah, she was an actress before, and she's taken some parts um, in a couple of John Waters-directed movies. So okay. She was, in, she was in Cry Baby, and she was in uh, Serial Oh, Mom. I know Cry Baby. Yeah. yeah, yeah okay, Johnny Depp, yeah. Yeah, she's a minor, minor character. I actually don't even know the character's name in Cry Baby, but she's a much bigger character in Serial Mom. And spoilers, this is like a 26-year-old movie. She, <laughs> she, gets, she gets killed by a payphone. What? How did that happen? So this should make you want to go see the movie now. It's excellent. Okay, yeah, check it out. Maybe. If you can find it streaming. I don't know if you can. Listen, you can find anything on the internet. That's true. That's regrettable. (laughs) You think I pay for streaming services? (laughs) (laughs) All right, so that's Patty Hearst. Patty's back. She's in jail. She goes through, you know, trial. But, but, you know, Dorothy comes out looking like she's right again. Um. On December 20th, 1974, so the same year that the, of the Patty Hearst stuff, um, John DeMars left his office in Manhattan, boarded a train bound for New Jersey, but never made it home. Um, DeMars was the kind of guy who would call up his wife if he was running even five minutes late by getting home. Uh, he was a very routine dude that he like had the exact same thing. He'd go, he'd go to work this one way, back to work the same way, like very 
organized and, and routine. Um, and he's also a big dude. He was like six foot two, around 200 pounds. So he's a big boy. Big boy. Uh, when he didn't show up by seven o'clock that evening, she started to call around. By 10 o'clock, she was in a full panic and contacted the police. Um, the Nutley police responded and the investigation began. It When it became clear that the investigation wasn't going anywhere, Detective Saul, his nickname is Lupo Lubertazzi, and this is like, this is Dorothy's other boy. So she's got Vic and Lupo. <laughs> Lupo Lubertazzi. Lupo Lubertazzi. Lubertazzi. Um, so Lupo decided to involve Dorothy to see if she could shed any light on anything that, that he might have missed. So, again, out of the same police department that, that she's been working through in Nutley, she's got, she's got her boys, her, her little, her little yeah, Avengers right team. by her side. It's like Batman and yeah. two Robins. <laughs> yeah, put the team together. <laughs> it's like Batman and the Wonder Twins. Yeah, well, no, she's more like Doctor Strange. She, <laughs> she, she looks like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, though. <laughs> I don't know who that is. The, the Supreme Court justice that died. That's okay. That's okay. We'll just keep going. Oh, that uh, RGB lady. Yeah, or RBG. RBG. Yeah, heard about that. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I love that you don't know who these people are. It actually, it, it actually makes yeah. It's that's it's so nice to live in that place that you don't know where it is. <laughs> it really is like I get I rack my brain and get stressed out about stuff like that. <laughs> that has nothing to do. I'll, with I'll just watch football and I'll watch wrestling and I have a good time. <laughs> that's what we should all aspire to be. That's why I feel bad for rotting your brain with all this stuff. <laughs> just like inflicting inflicting my mental pain onto you. Um, <laughs> So anyway, um, Dorothy told Lupo that John had fallen off the train and drowned. (laughs) She also said that she had a vision of a stack of tires, a little park where children go down a hill on their sleds, a fire engine, the numbers 222, and a bow and arrow. (laughs) What the fuck does that mean? That doesn't mean anything. That's what she threw out there. So two months later... Are you ready for it? <laughs> yes. A, a father and son were target shooting with a bow and arrow on a bluff overlooking son the Passaic River. A bitch. <laughs> One of the arrows missed the target and landed a few feet from John's body. It had been found on February 22nd, which matched what Dorothy said about the numbers 222. Oh my God. Also, there was a nearby park where tires had been arranged to make a sled run. Well, 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 Dorothy, you win again. <laughs> that's just, it's so good. That's nuts, man. Like, just these random things. And you're like, well, she was hopping down a hill on one foot on September 2nd of 1982. And she happened to hop over this one crack in the sidewalk, which contained the bones of Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> the fuck <laughs> I've been dying to tell you the story. It just took me forever to write. I just was like <laughs> Um You wanna know what happened to John? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alright. So he'd fallen asleep on the train ride, which is so easy to do. I when when the subways were a thing, I fall asleep all the time on the train. Like I and you know, have you build like living in New York long enough, you build this like little mechanism that you know exactly where your stop is and you wake up immediately and get off the train. Because nothing makes you look dumber than missing your stop. Do you have to ride the whole loop again? No, you could just cross over to the other way track. Okay. Yeah, but it's still a pain in the butt. Anyway, he fell asleep on the train 
Um, the conductor made an unscheduled stop on the Passaic River Bridge and opened the doors to let another passenger off the back of the train. John, who was still half asleep, thought that was his stop and got off the train. He fell off the bridge and drowned. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because when you open the you know, you open the doors, they all open. And so he wasn't paying attention and stepped out to nothing like a cartoon. <laughs> That's hilarious. I'm sorry. It's, <laughs> it's so funny. As for like ways to go, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I kind of chuckled a little bit. Then I was like, oh, that poor guy. He was like in his mid 30s, a young family. Um, that's the sad part. <laughs> sorry that your dad died in such a hilarious way. <laughs> sorry your dad <laughs> stepped off the bridge. <laughs> Imagine like the, the, uh, while I carry cartoon, like that's exactly runs, what I was thinking. Runs it's off like, the cliff. He's like, and, boop, boop, and, boop. And you don't know that you, you don't fall until you look down. That's the rule in those cartoons. <laughs> when they're like, they're fine and they could keep going, but then they look and that's immediately they just drop. <laughs> so yeah, that's 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 old John. Um, now we got another one. This one is a wild one. So uh, Susan, so she sees a fish and a door and two sticks <laughs> in a triangle pattern somehow. <laughs> and then they led to a doorstep. <laughs> Pretty close. <laughs> so uh, Susan Jacobson was 14 years old when she went missing in 1976. Um, her parents naturally called the police when she hadn't come home from a job interview at an ice cream shop. Police chalked it up to a runaway and mostly just went through the motions of filling out missing persons paperwork without doing very much detecting. Um, this is in Staten Island. So this is one of the, the five boroughs of New York City. Um, the one that people don't really talk about. <laughs> Hold on. What's well, your name, Ma? Okay. Queens. Yep. Brooklyn. Yep. Long Island. Nope. Staten Island. The Staten Island, yeah. Uh, the one that starts with the H, Harlem. No, that's a neighborhood. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, but it's a neighborhood in the main, like the main island of New York City. Oh, God, Spider Man taught me nothing. Uh, Hell's Kitchen. Nope, that's a neighborhood. Uh, you know Friday, thir- Friday the Thirteenth Part Eight. Jason takes. You got a Yonkers. Friday the Thirteenth tattoo. How do you not know you this? Mean I've watched every movie. The d- <sighs> I'm so disappointed. Manhattan. Manhattan. I thought I was a part of Brooklyn. No, no, it's totally separate. Okay, so you got um, four. You got one more. Did you ever watch the TV show The uh, Gargoyles when you were a kid? No. No. They all named themselves after Burroughs. Uh, did I say stat- New Jersey? No, New Jersey's a state. <laughs> What's the fifth one? The Bronx. The Bronx? I thought that was a part of Brooklyn. No, that's that's very separate. There's, okay. a, lot of, there's, a, there's a lot of heat between the Bronx and Brooklyn. Like People that okay. live in Brooklyn, we don't go to the Bronx. People that live in the Bronx, they don't go to Brooklyn. Because we both think that they're, each of them is the most dangerous borough. <laughs> that's a thing it's a weird thing we used to have a lot of conversations about my couple of buddies that lived in the bronx i was like y'all have fun i'm not coming to visit you and they're like yep same <laughs> <laughs> they're also like the two besides staten island which you have to take a boat to the bronx and brooklyn could not be on more opposite sides of the city like they're the two furthest away from each other okay um so where was I? Oh, yeah, here it is. So, Manhattan. <laughs> Staten Island. <laughs> um, so, the cops weren't really doing anything. 
which shouldn't be a total surprise. So the Jacobson family decided to take things into their own hands. Uh, Susan's father, Bill, took three weeks off from his job to search for his daughter. He printed up 2,000 flyers and distributed them all over Staten Island. Um, and it was Susan's mother, Ellen, who finally made the call to Dorothy. Like Ellen's, Ellen's sister said, you should call this woman. She can help. Like, she's helped before. Um, and I have to say, all in all, these parents seem like really just kind of amazing concerned parents. Like they, I mean, like her dad does everything in his power to, to find, you know, his daughter and he's just like searching everywhere. And he's, he's recruited his own, like his friends of his and like his brother-in-law to kind of get together to try and find, to find this woman. And now here comes Dorothy into the mix. Um, Dorothy immediately accepted the case and headed to the Jacobson house she instantly had a reading. You ready for it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the words Mar, spelled M-A-R. Okay. Was coming through her visions, as well as the numbers 2562. Two. Um, and then when she said that, Ellen immediately said that those were Ellen uh, Susan's birthday, February 5th, 1962. So 2562. Okay. Um, Dorothy followed up with the numbers 605 and 608. And Ellen responded that Susan was actually born at 6.05 in the morning. So she's she's got him. Like, she's on the trail. She smells, okay. She smells. you know, I, I don't know. I, I can't finish that phrase. <laughs> she, uh, okay, she was eating a Mars bar on her birthday at sunset and tripped and fell into a vat of acid. <laughs> nope. Sadly Nailed no. It. Sadly no. <laughs> so... She asks the, her mom, she said, what, you know, what are the cops doing? And the mom is like, not really doing anything. They say this is a missing persons and that she probably ran away and they're not being very helpful. And this really infuriates Dorothy. So she demands that they all drive to the police station. So um, it should be said that she, she made her husband drive her to Staten Island. It's about an hour away from where she lives. And so, like, he's just kind of sitting around while she's doing all the psychic stuff with the mom. And then he's like, Bob, get in the car. We're going to the police station. <laughs> they all get in Bob's car and they go. Um, she presented a scrapbook of headlines from all the cases that she was involved with to the desk sergeant and asked to speak to a detective at once. So she's like big Karen vibes where she's like, I'm an important psychic. I need to talk to a police officer. Where is your manager? Yes, can I please speak to your manager, sir, <laughs> sir, <laughs> sir. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> It's okay. I want you to laugh. I don't want you to die. Um, <laughs> so she, um, she, they, they, the sergeant was not going to let her in, but she happened to catch two detectives walking in at the beginning of their shift and like immediately corners them. Hey, and, hey, 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 you too, <laughs> sir, sir, <laughs> sir. <laughs> Yeah, we, uh, we need to get YouTube channel up and running because you're know. hilarious today. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Dorothy asked the detectives. Uh, they, Dorothy, I'm sorry, Dorothy and the detectives went into the private room where Dorothy told the two men that this was not a missing persons case; it was a homicide, and Dorothy already had a suspect in mind. Um, she said that it was most likely Susan's older boyfriend, whose name was Dempsey Hawkins. Oh, that damn old Dempsey, man. I'm I'm going to say this now because it's very overt in all of this text. Dempsey not only was older, but he's also black. 
and uh, Susan is white. So that's mm. a little, this is like mid seventies. It's a bit taboo at the time, and Staten Island not really the. I don't know how to say this. It's it's a very white. They racist. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> that's where Eric Garner was killed. Just okay. To put that okay. into context, that was he was in Staten Island. Um, Dempsey was two years older than Susan. Here's the kicker. And the previous summer had gotten her pregnant, uh, which she later had an abortion. After this, her parents urged her to end the, the relationship. And it sounded very polite in the write-ups, but I just, in my head, I can't imagine yeah, that was a yeah, good conversation. I'm, I'm, yeah, I can imagine how that conversation well, went. Well, a black guy knocked up your 13-year-old daughter, and she had to get an abortion. I mean, he was only two years older, but it's like, oof. That so he was 15. He don't know what he's 15. doing. He didn't know. No, but that doesn't matter to the parents. I'm just putting that out there. Um, yeah. Even after Dorothy confronted the, the, them, the police refused to work with Dorothy and the case remained open. Bill never gave up looking. His search was fueled by more of Dorothy's visions. You ready? Here we go again. Um, an abandoned car. Once again, the letters M-A-R, but this time in red spray paint. The smell of oil. Two sets of dual church steeples, two smokestacks, swamps, and marshes. Hmm. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> so here's here's kind of the crazy thing. While searching a Staten Island boat graveyard, which is nicknamed the Downback, uh, Bill found a rock with the letters M A R in red spray paint. So what is what is M A R? Doesn't mean anything. I have no idea. So. Dorothy, for all we know, because I just went out there and spray painted That's MAR. True. I actually never even thought of that. <laughs> but you're right. <laughs> it didn't even cross my mind. <laughs> um, he knew. So at that point, Bill was like, I found the spot. But he searched and searched, and he never found Susan's body. So it went unsolved for two years. Wow. Two years later, time. yep, in which Dorothy had moved on to other cases. Three boys found Susan's body inside an oil drum. Mm. From standing where it was found, a person could see two church steeples, two smokestacks, and an abandoned car. Oh, okay. So that was the oil. The oil smell. Yep. Um, She had Susan had been strangled to death and placed in the oil drum, hence the smell of oil, and then thrown into a hole with a water-filled swamp below. So, did they ever find out what happened to? Yes, so it did turn out to be Susan's boyfriend, Dempsey Hawkins, who uh, strangled Susan to death uh, when she was trying to break up with him. Um, He just lost control. He was convicted. He actually was released a few years ago. And a few de- years ago to, to like today. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he, he was released and then immediately deported because I guess he was from England. So he went back to England, but he did a- after he was locked up, he did confess to doing it. So he, he okay. said, yeah, I did it. I just don't know. He's like, something came over me when she was trying to break up and I just freaked out and I think he did it with his jacket. Like he just, yeah. So Yeah. That's that's tough because he's a, he's he's an older dude now, and he went away when he was seventeen. Yeah, his whole life's gone. Yeah, yeah, really, really bad stuff. Everybody's life is ruined in that. Um, so after at this point, there's no shortage of people asking for Dorothy's help with all kinds of cases. Um, families and police departments would write to her. 
desperate for any sort of help. Um, she kept very, very busy, but would still find her, her time to lend her help, often without being asked to, for some very high-profile <laughs> cases. So, again, a little bit of, sir... <laughs> sir sir i'm i have a i have a hunch i know something um i gotta take this mask off i can't breathe <laughs> no Listen, this is killing me this is killing me I'm keeping viruses in toxins are staying in my body the mask is blocking them from leaving <laughs> i actually as i was writing this i just kept thinking i was like if she was a little younger and still alive today, you know she'd be on that QAnon shit. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Like, this is what she did. She to... would be their resident, like, mascot psychic. Yeah, I mean, like, this is what she did to entertain herself then because there wasn't anything <laughs> else. But if there was the internet now, you know that she wouldn't be putting all this effort. Listen, I, I don't think you can hear me. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it's also like, it's very much like in that, that save the children stuff. Like this is like early save the children, except like you're not going to save them because they're already dead by the time. you get hit She hasn't had one vision where the child is still alive. <laughs> well, she had that. Yeah. She had the one with the guy who had amnesia, which. Oh yeah. 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 I forgot but about that's that one. It. That's it. Um, in 1976, she was credited, I don't know by who, with giving an accurate description of the son of Sam Killer with a police, to a police artist. And so he drew up the sketch, and apparently it looked a lot like David Berkowitz. David Berkowitz is the most generic-looking white dude on the planet. Like, I, a sketch from a police artist of him could look like anybody. <laughs> so right. I, I, don't, I don't really find that all that remarkable. Um, she also correctly predicted that he'd be picked up on a traffic violation, you know, that's like a trope from serial killers. Is that's how they all get busted. I mean, I don't know, man. I put so far, man. She's kind of on point. So, you know, if they want to give her son a Sam, I'll let her have it. All right. So here we go. So in 1979, the book Missing Person, the true story of a police case resolved by the clairvoyant powers of Dorothy Allison was published about another murder that she was involved with. This would just serve to bolster her name and even more on a national level. The following year, she released her own autobiography, A Psychic Story, which I paid $30 for and is a dog shit read. I do not recommend that book to anybody. Is it that bad? It's really, really bad. And it's badly written. And it just goes in. It's like, I, it's, oh, it's just bad. Now it's I went here and I did the thing with this thing. And now I went here. And she uses third person. So she calls herself Dorothy, even though she's writing it. I don't know. There's That's there's a lot there's a lot of stuff that goes on, and then like she talks about oh, and then she comes home and she spends time with the kids and still a loving mother, and then murder, murder, death, death. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's not a good book. I really struggled to get through it. That's why this was due weeks and weeks and weeks ago. I had a plan for this one, and I had to put the book down and walk away. I was like, this is just, I can't finish this. So I finally buckled in. All right, we got one more. Here we go. John Bonet Ramsey. No fucking way. <laughs> it was the Santa. We all know it was the Santa. <laughs> John Bonet Ramsey was killed in 1996. And yep, you guessed it. Dorothy was right there to lend a hand. <laughs> <laughs> she appeared on the April 27th episode of the shitty fucking talk show, Lisa, which was the Lisa Gibbon show. Uh, and the program was titled Dorothy Allison tracking John Bonet's killer. So she's got a huge oh reputation at this so point. So this is the equivalent of like some psychic going on the Maury Povich show. Oh yeah. And yeah, like just like trash yep. TV. 100%. This was like prime trash talk show psychic guests. The kids are at school. Mom's got to watch something. 
just just wait. We'll list off her media appearances, and it's actually truly fucking shocking how okay. much TV time she had. Um, so Allison Dorothy insisted that the little girl's parents were absolutely not involved, and the real killer was a former handyman. She perceived connections to Germany and Georgia, the numbers 289, and the names Martin and Irving, the latter, she said, being the one I think that did this. Uh, working with a police ar- artist, Dorothy produced a drawing of the alleged killer. Sadly, as we all know, no killer was ever convicted for this crime. She was there. She was involved. She involves herself in a lot of this stuff. Um, and she was covered everywhere. This is what I just talked about. She appeared on Oprah, Donahue, David Letterman, Good Morning America, and multiple wow. episodes of Unsolved Mysteries. She's had write-ups in magazines such as Newsweek, Time, People, Reader's Digest, Family Circle, True Detective, McCall's, People Magazine, and Look. Um, she was even interviewed in the New York Times. That's nutty, man. She's, right? Yeah, she's riding high off of this. Yeah, she's she's got all kinds. I mean, she's And she never took money for any of those? So, I think she took money for the TV show appearances. Okay. That's, but it's not that's, directly related to the psychic thing. She would I never guess. take it from the. She would never take it from the victims, and she would never take it from the police. And we'll get into kind of like her arrangement with the with the police. But um, yeah, um, she, in that New York Times piece, she was quoted as saying, "If you ask me if I believe in psychics, I'd say no. Only very few." Ms. Allison said to the New York Times interview ninety six, she had harsh words for the psychics who advertised on television, a practice that she shunned. And she said, "In quotes, those one nine hundred number people should be arrested." So throwing uh, some shade on Cleo, right? Cleo, Hermes Cleo would not get along. No, she was she was like turning on other psychics. <laughs> so nine years before her death, she told her family that she wouldn't live to be seventy-five, and indeed, she died on December first, nineteen ninety-nine, just twenty-eight days shy of her seventy-fifth birthday. According to Dorothy, she's been involved with five thousand police cases which has led detectives to 250 bodies and has solved hundreds of murders before her death. And those numbers vary, but that's, that's Dorothy. That's her life. That's the end. That's it. No, fuck no, man. This is, if you catch my griff, now we're going to just tear it to shreds. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, that was all set up for what happens next. (laughs) Okay. I was just like, Wow, I don't, I don't want to tell him that. We, uh. <laughs> oh no, 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 no! She hey, is, Austin, you worked so hard on this one. It fucking sucked, but <laughs> no, she's a fucking fraud and a fucking horrible person. And she might be my least oh, favorite person no. we've covered on this. Oh, Austin, <laughs> you made me think she was a good person this whole time. Uh, the whole, the whole episode, I was like, this lady isn't bad at all. <laughs> what have you done? <laughs> you just built up my hope and trust and stomped on it. <laughs> I told, I told. This is the first good person we covered. I told Christopher time. right before I recorded. I was like, I'm gonna break Dalton's brain. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Are you ready? Let's see what this evil bitch was up to. Buckle up! I don't. I'm. I'm. I have my. I'm conflicted about a lot of stuff. But anyway, let's 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 parse through this information and then we'll see what we think. Um, so from that very same New York Times article that I mentioned, I'm gonna read a little bit of that. 
says, but skeptics, many armed with volumes of research, insist that psychics have never solved a single crime. Joe Nickel, a columnist for Skeptical Inquirer, the magazine for the Committee for Scientific Investigation of Claims of the Paranormal, that's a real organization, uh, said in an interview that psychic detectives use a trick called retrofitting, which involves tossing out several clues, like a number or mention of water, that are interpreted to fit the facts after they become known. Police departments may waste valuable time and resources digging in specific spots and draining ponds on the erroneous advice of a psychic, he said. Certainly, Dorothy Allison has caused a great deal of, I'm sure, unintended mischief, he said. Michael Shermer, the publisher of Skeptic Magazine, said in an interview that psychic detectives commonly make logical predictions. For example, they suggest that a corpse will be found in a remote area. Okay. Which, obviously. Now... Ding, ding, ding. In this corner is the patron saint of our podcast. Which is who? Dalton. You can't get this wrong. Oh, my God. I think I forgot his name. Uh, You're so close. Ron Jeremy. No, no. That's a porn star. And he's a rapist. And he's in jail for a long, long time. Oh, God. He's a rapist? Oh, yeah. He's going to die in jail. Oh, I just knew that he could, like, you know... Dongle no. his own dangle. No, no. He <laughs> he, he dongled others oh, too. No. Oh no. Without I... consent. It's really bad. Yeah. James Randy. Here we go. Here's James. Ooh, James Randy does not like this woman. <laughs> Dude, I am so bad with names. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so bad with names. Tattooed on your arm. Um Speaking from his office in Fort La- Lauderdale, James Randy wastes no time eviscerating Allison's rep. In quotes, I spoke with so many detectives in so many towns all over the U.S. who said she came in, sat with them for two or three hours and said things like, there's a red color here. I get a double initial like an R or a B. Also, there's water, flowing water and rain. I get rain and newspaper and the smell of oil or gasoline. Oh, it's very strong. And I see a small car, a light colored car somehow involved. It goes on and on with all this generalization. It's a case of giving tremendous amounts of data and hoping that some of it will prove to have some relationship to reality. Hmm. Okay. Well, he's pretty spot on. Yeah. So he, and he really doesn't like her. He said he was quoted as saying, she's one of the people I'm really out to get. That I think that woman is an absolute disgrace. And he was too polite to call people an asshole. Or a fraud, but you can kind of read between the lines. I feel like disgrace is far worse. Maybe. But he I'd really rather be did. called an asshole than a disgrace. Yeah, you might be right, actually. <laughs> yeah, but he did not like her. It was very clear. <laughs> he, um, he gave her one of his awards that he gives to the biggest frauds. He ran these awards called the Pegasus Awards. Just, <laughs> these pigs that were out ripping off people. Uh, so she was the recipient of one of those. Um, nice. So most of these cases stretch on for years at a time. So when they're concluded, the police involved are really far removed from Dorothy's predictions. And this really just allows her to cherry pick the guesses that she gave based on the facts of the case. Right. With psychics, you want to keep the hits and discard all the misses. And you saw it a little bit with uh, one of the cases where it was uh, was Susan Jacobson and where he was like, 605 and 608 and then 605 was the hit so 608 went away you never heard about it again right we just discard anything that doesn't fit um the other thing is that recollection is a really funny thing um we don't our our heads are not a hard drive 
you know, and the further away you are from an event, the more it changes, like, and your brain just sort of fills in some of the, the, the gaps that happen over time. And they, right. this is why you have like Mandela syndrome is a thing, you know, it's like your brain kind of works in a very strange way with memory. Did you ever play that game in school? I think it was like called telephone or something. Yeah. Where like everybody in class sat in a circle and the teacher whispered something to one person and they went around the whole room in a circle. And then the last person whispered it back to the teacher. And then she would say what she originally said and what the person next to her said. And it would be vastly different things. Absolutely. I always kind of, I know it works that way. I always thought there was a troll somewhere in the, in the ring too, you know, like you can't. Okay. Yeah. I never thought about that. I, that was, I was, maybe it was just a very deeply suspicious child, but I was like, (laughs) somebody fucking changed it in there somewhere. Cause how, how hard is that? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I do, I, I I think as a metaphor that really works. I, I just was like, I'm, I'm suspicious of everyone. (laughs) (laughs) um so let's let's talk about some of the specific cases that we covered and i'm gonna poke some fucking holes all over them um the first the death of the the little kid michael which was just a horrible death um first off there's the fact that she had claimed to see him she had the vision two hours before he left the house and part of me is just like why the fuck didn't you do anything like, yeah, but I want you to go to the house. Like, don't let him leave. Or go to the police and say, hey, there's this kid. I know this sounds crazy, but I had a vision of a kid drowning and it's going to happen and we should, you know, look out for it. You know, you've got enough, maybe, maybe enough context clues. No, but she doesn't. Even more than that, she waits a full fucking month after the kid dies to go to the police. Yeah. And it's like, I, I don't know. Like, that's your first case. And even by your own admission, you waited a month because you were so crippled by the vision. Get the fuck out of here. I don't have time for that. <laughs> that I have nothing on that. Um, you know, it, it's it, she's, yeah, it's fucked up. She knew the kid was going to die, according to her, and waits a month when you know he's very dead. Um, you know, once she contacts the police, she provides them with clues, but never actually leads them to the body. Hmm. In a single case, she's never actually gone, here's the body right here, and they found the body. Never. She's already well, always see, long also, gone. The, the gift is you get all these clues. So it's not going to spoon feed it to you. It's going to give you all these clues and you got to put it together yourself. <laughs> it's like the Riddler from hell. <laughs> <laughs> Riddle me this, nutly police. <laughs> uh, sir? Oh, sir. <laughs> sir. <laughs> sir. Riddle me this, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, it's just like oil and water and green and a banana. And now you go put it together. (laughs) Uh, so, you know, she, yeah, it, she, she didn't find the body and it was just a random guy with a dead cat who stumbled across the water and it wasn't even in a drain pipe. It was in a pond. The kid's body was floating in a little pond. Well, you see, Austin, all pipes lead to the ocean. Finding Nemo taught me this. You keep trying to defend this woman. It only gets worse. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you this. If your job was finding bodies and the case ended and you didn't have a body, you should have been fired. You should have not been hired again. Yeah, that <laughs> is like, true. I'm in the body finding business, but don't actually find bodies. It's like, fuck off. Get out of here. Why would you use her? <laughs> like, this is a this classic example of like failing upwards. Like you're so bad at your job, but somehow more and more people just come to you for help. It's like, what? She's not doing anything. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, and so, you know, once the body is found, the only thing that the Nutley police remember are the guesses that she got correct. You know, like they find this body and they're like, oh, yeah, Dorothy did say he was wearing a green snowsuit. Look, he's got a green snowsuit. She was clearly right about everything. We should Look just at the listen. boots. Look we at the boots. We should have listened to her better. You know, we just weren't listening good enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, some of the details could also have been in the initial press coverage of the missing boy. She knew he had blonde hair and blue eyes because the picture ran... A, the paper ran a fucking picture of the missing kid, which guess what? That happens a lot with missing children. You want to find them. What's the best way to do it? Put a fucking photo of the kid in the paper that she's going to read. Like, I just, I'm like, well, I didn't put that together. I figured that like, was that necessarily a psychic vision? That's she said, you know, she okay. came in, she's like, I don't know who this boy is, but he's got blue eyes and blonde hair. And there's probably a copy of the newspaper sitting on the fucking uh, counter in her okay. house going, this is, this is Michael. He's missing. He's five. You know, he was last seen by a river and she's like, water, blue eyes, blonde hair. It's like, you knew that. You knew that. <laughs> and they don't want to disbelieve you because you're a sweet old lady. You know, like you're this mother, this, this grandmother, big old oversized glasses. And like you deal with criminals all day long. So you're like, of course, maybe we'll spend some time with grandma over here and, and listen to her. But that's, that's not okay. Um, there is, yeah, not a single example that I could find of her deleting police directly to a body or a suspect. Um, this is from a New York Times article on September 7, 1974, about Phyllis Thompson, um, which is the one that the mother had said, oh, yeah, she led her right to the body. She knew he should when strangled and raped and hit on the head three times. And it was a guy named Krug. <laughs> the nude body of a young woman found floating in the South River here yesterday with her hands bound behind her back was identified today as that of a 28-year-old teacher from Lakewood. Mrs. Thompson's body was discovered in the river by three East Brunswick youngsters who were fishing. Again, not the police. There were two abrasions on the head that police said could have been made by a small instrument or a man's fist. So once again, she didn't find this body. But the mom is so, you know, like transfixed and hypnotized that the psychic found her, her baby that she's willing to say it, even right. if it's not true. Yeah, her brain's tricked her into thinking yeah, of that. She's, yeah, she's, she's like, Dorothy, I mean, maybe she is psychic. She gets so far into these fucking pa parents' brains, but she's also taking advantage of them because they're in the worst possible place they could be in their entire well, that's life. that's one of the effects of being so charming, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. You completely disarm whoever you're talking about. Um, also, there's a really weird coincidence, and I think it's just a coincidence, but I wanted to mention it because this feels very much like something Alex Jones does. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry. It's one of my takes. <laughs> two years before all of this went down, the movie Last House on the Left was released in theaters. No right? fucking way. Listen, just listen. In that movie, two teenagers are abducted, raped, and murdered by a game, gang of criminals. One of the teenagers' name is Phyllis. And the leader of the gang... His name is Krug. My gosh, she got this from fucking Last House on the Left. I don't know. I don't know. I, it could be a coincidence, but boy, no, it's not just... a fucking coincidence. There's no such thing as coincidences. Come on. I see. Like little old lady loves these. Like I mean, that's a that's a fucking crazy, violent, wild movie. <laughs> like, it's, it's a little hard to watch sometimes too. I'm not gonna be. I'm not gonna lie. I really like that movie, but boy, that's a tough one. That's a brutal. Picture. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so it's funny to me seeing little old Phyllis go to the movie theater to watch Last House on the Left, but it it's possible. You see it with a lot of these weirdos, they just like they think that movies are reality reflected back at them. Yeah. But oh, I, just, I was thinking of Cabin in the Woods. No wonder your description didn't make sense. 
Well, Last House on the Left is about abducting two girls and throwing them into a trunk. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, does, yeah. I was thinking of a completely work. different movie. Whenever you uh, have you seen? I think it's Cabin in the Woods, the one where like like this cabin that's in the woods, and <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> <laughs> they go to this cabin. You need to take some ivermectin for that cough, man. <laughs> uh, stop it! <laughs> I'm already shitting my brains out. I don't need horse uh, horse uh, diuretics. <laughs> but uh, they go to this cabin that's in the woods, and it turns out it's like all a simulation. That's yes. like okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that movie. I think it's so most fucking funny. Clever movies that have been made in a long, long time. Yeah, it's really good. A really good movie. Are Look, back we, on track. We agree on stuff every once in a while. <laughs> we agree on a lot of things. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> um, so then you look at, like, so there's the movie, right? You look at, like, Susan Jacobson. Her body was missing for two years before a 13-year-old kid stumbled on it while hunting for muskrats. Like, these are just, like, like the police aren't even finding these bodies. Kids right. are finding them. Bystanders are finding them. Citizens are finding them. Um, and they go to the cops, and the cops is like, well, damn, kid. Thanks for finding the body. It must have been Dorothy. Yes, yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, Patty Hearst was arrested in a police raid uh, and charged with helping her captors rob a bank. He said it was a wild ass story. She was picked up. In I don't San believe Francisco. for a second, by the way, that she had any coercion to help rob that bank. Yeah, she said she was brainwashed and they tortured her into doing it. Stop it. She ended up changing her name and going by, um, I think the name was Nadia. I might be wrong on that. Somebody will correct She joined their cause and then she got scared whenever they got caught. Right. Well, whatever the case is, and it's highly debated, but she got picked up in San Francisco, not New York, not Pennsylvania, not what Dorothy had said. Um, yeah, John DeMars, the guy who fell off a train, Wiley Coyote style, <laughs> uh, was found by a father and son practicing with a bow and arrow in, in the woods. Dorothy provided those vague clues, such as this involves water. And when they found the body, she can That's say- That's a wild that she, one to throw out, though, a bow and arrow. <laughs> yeah, the bow and arrow. But it could. it's part of a lot. Like, there's so much that, like- I don't know if you've ever seen. We'll cover this bozo too. Uh, John Edward, you know who he is, the TV psychic. The yeah, 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 yeah. Dead people. That that show is so edited, and you don't realize it because he just throws out all this shit until he finally gets something that sticks. Does and the then he color goes, green mean anything yeah, to you? Yeah, he just goes and goes and goes. And Dorothy uses like the water one a lot, and then she just pulls out a bunch of numbers, you know, that <laughs> may mean something if she gets hit. But there's just so much information that she throws out, and you only remember the stuff she was right on. You don't remember the stuff she was wrong on a year or two after. Could have been the number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, maybe zero. Yeah, it's some does, combination of those numbers. Does, do any something. of those work for you? Do those sound familiar? <laughs> um, yeah, she was twenty-one. See, <laughs> two and one. <laughs> uh, I did talk about the the sketch, the son of Sam sketch, and how it was just a generic-looking white dude. It could have been anybody. Right. So there's that. Um, so I want to talk about a case that she actually takes a lot of credit for. But um, it does seem to go into her column of real misses. <laughs> Right. So, um, between July of 1979 and May of 1981, Atlanta experienced a wave of murders that were targeting young black men. And it was something like, I think, 30 murders altogether. Uh, not Oof. really a serial killer that we hear about very much. Um, 
it threw the city into chaos and not unlike the son of Sam killings, which also threw New York city into absolute chaos where people were afraid to go outside. Um, parents were, would not allow their kids to play outside. Some didn't even let them go to school. Everyone, especially people of color were terrified because it was only black children that were killed. Um, leads were going nowhere. So the police who were desperate to catch the killer called Dorothy. Now this is from the Miami Herald buckle up. Allison blew into town saying that her visions had shown her a picture of one of the two persons she believed are involved. She visited mothers of the victims and sites where the bodies were found uh, and then returned to police headquarters to provide details and an artist attempting uh, and an artist attempted to sketch a composite of the man for her that she saw in her vision. This is her quote. I'll guarantee you he won't kill while I'm here, she said, as police chief George Knapper stood silently by her side. <laughs> I can control him with my mind. I've done it before. And then he said, bet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> even, yeah. Even telling him to stop killing people. Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, even some police officers initially skeptical of the psychic were hopeful. In quotes, at least she's given us some leads. It gives us something to concentrate on, something concrete to do besides taking calls from nuts, one said. Atlanta police bought the psychic's plane ticket and will pay her expenses while she's in Atlanta, but she receives no other compensation. She's still receiving something, though. Like, she's still yeah. getting a vacation. Yeah. All expense paid. That's the part she really downplays, that she's, you know, they're paying for all her dinners and her travel and everything that she does, her hotel room. Um, of course, there are two sides to everything. And this is from the Los Angeles Times. When she was called to Atlanta in 1980 to assist the police investigating the murders of several black children. An Atlanta police detective branded her quote, that wacko broad who rode in a around town in a big limousine ate real well for three days and then went home. He said that she gave the police 42 possible names for the murderer. Not a single one of them, uh, led to an arrest. Oh, wow. Yep. And she robbed him blind, robbed him blind, got out of there. And has enough, like, gumption to go around and say, oh, yeah, I helped them find the killer. None of the names you said were the guys that was the guy that was ultimately arrested. <laughs> it was also not two guys. It was one. You'd said there was one black guy and one white guy. It turned out it was just one black guy, if you believe that story. And this, again, is a really highly contested um, case because the guy that they caught has, has said he's been innocent the whole time. The biggest argument that he did it is that the murder stopped after he did it. But there was also some undercover FBI guys that were uh, infiltrating the Klan in, in that area in, in Atlanta at the time. Mm -hmm. And he had said that a couple of them were taking credit for these killings. They were trying to do it to start a race war in Atlanta. Jesus Christ. So there is there is another part of that story that's still kind of hanging in the air. And What's the Austin opinion? I... Whew, I don't know if I've made it, I read enough about it, but I think the clan piece, I mean, that sounds pretty yeah. likely, but then, you know, the police aren't going to arrest the clan in the late seventies, Atlanta, <laughs> they're going to go right. for this one black guy that they found in kind of a wrong place, wrong time. He was, he was busted and like, and it was highly, the evidence was really circumstantial, but I think at that time, the reason people are like, well, the murder stopped after he got arrested was the clan was like, okay. We need to lay off of doing this because this yeah, is not, yeah. it's not doing what we thought it would do. And if we do kill again, they're going to know this guy's not doing it and they're going to look harder into to us. Right. So we will see. He, the man ultimately charged with the murders of 23, uh, the murders was a 23 year old 
named Wayne Williams. And I got to be honest, Williams is a pretty common last name. And it was still not one of the 42 names that she threw out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But if she had, it wouldn't have helped anyway, because according at the time, there was almost 7,000 people with the last name Williams in in the Atlanta area. So that's a lot of people you got to talk to. So what happened was she saw two people. She saw the guy in the clan that was doing it. She saw the guy that <laughs> was accused of Maybe doing it. They were it. doing it at the same time and they didn't realize they were both doing it. <laughs> like one is a legit serial killer and the other one is a clansman. <laughs> and he's like, I didn't do that one. Like, who killed that guy? It wasn't me. <laughs> and he's like, man, I already got a copycat. <laughs> oh, man. So. Her her clues are, for the most part, really, really vague, like you were yelling about at the beginning. But it's because anytime she's been specific, she's been very wrong. <laughs> so I think she knows yeah. to stick to the vague things. Um, it's she, all trial and error, right? You yeah. know, it's like it's like learning how to cook. Yep. You, you're going to fuck around and throw some spices in this. I'm like, oh, man, that cumin doesn't work. Let me take that out of here and stick <laughs> with this oregano. You know what yes. I mean? Yep, 100%. And she... See, like in the first case that she was on, she was convinced that that boy was in a pipe right below her feet. And the police took all day and they dug up this. this Why would you give something that specific? She learned her lesson because he wasn't there. And then in a in another case, she claimed that there was a body in the flooded basement of an abandoned building. So the, the police called the fire department. Fire department shows up, pumps all the water out of this basement. There's no body. The body was found two weeks later in a completely different part of town. Just wasting everyone's time. Everybody's, time, everybody's resources, too. Yeah. You know? Like, the longer the police are chasing little little uh, psychic lady around town, it's like they, they're actually not doing the job of solving this case. Which, right. You know, they're bad at to begin with, but this just makes it even worse. Well, not only does it hurt the police, it hurts the victims, too. They're like the family of the victim. Yep. yep. And honestly, police have better, I mean, firefighters have better things to do then drain a basement. Um, as for the police, let them fucking dig holes all they want. I don't really give a shit about that. <laughs> maybe, maybe if they were digging holes, they wouldn't be shooting people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> In segue. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, once again, you go back to that point where for all her services, she refused to uh, accept what she called blood money. And I think this is most likely true. I, um, but I think the this write-up by a piece uh, from Michael Dennett puts it the best. And when I read this, I was like, this is, this is, this is her. Well, what makes sense to me, and you can tell me if it matches up with the article, okay. is that she's not taking the money for just appearance reasons. She's not taking the money that she looks like this nice old lady doing it for just the intent of like being good. When in all reality, she's getting these all expense paid vacations. She's getting paid appearances on TV shows, paid appearances in newspapers and magazines. She's making money off this without you realizing it. I agree. And I think, I think that's the, I think the cynicism in that is welcome. I think it's, I think it's important to have it there. And I think it's probably accurate. Look at Um, me. You ruined me. I know. I did it. (laughs) Podcast over. We're retiring. (laughs) Done. I'm going to move on. I got to, I got, you gotta find my next victim. This is like that, you know, this is like the dirty John of podcasts, but like it's in the podcast where I just like ruin people through a podcast and then move on to my next victim. Why is Dirty John? It's a it's a movie about a con artist who tries to steal this woman's money. Or it's a okay. it's a podcast series. Anyway. Next mission. Make me smart. All right, let's go. <laughs> All right. So here's a piece from uh, Michael Dennett. 
Allison has made very little money from her work, other than the royalties from her book. Money, uh, money's quote, money's not my god. My gift came from God, and I would never sell it. She says, while she only, while she earns only expenses and nothing on most, it's possible that she enjoys the attention and prestige of being a famous psychic. It is also possible that her involvement as a psychic trying to help children fills an emotional need within her. Allison believed her mother was also clairvoyant. In the dedication to, of her book, she writes, quote, To my mother, she understood and believed in me. She encouraged me to accept God's psychic gift. From an early age, Allison was exposed to the truth of her mother's psychic abilities. Allison's experienced an unusually traumatic adolescence capped by the early death of her father. Like most people, she may not have been able to objectively review her activities. I think it possible Allison believes that many of her clues are correct. Okay. Um, other pronouncements by Allison, this continues, uh, seem contradictory. She maintains that she, quote, hates publicity. Her long list of television appearances and newspaper interviews does not support this contention. Her record resembles more that of a skillful entertainer complete with a publicity manager. Yeah, I agree. So she actually does have a publicist that helps manage all of her bookings. Oh, her but she hates she hates publicity. Yep. Makes sense. She hired a guy named Tom Colamaria. 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 And if you're listening, you have as big a part in this as anybody else. Um, yeah, Tom, we know you're listening. Yeah, she's. I mean, she's a celebrity. She's a, she's a TV psychic. Even right. though that's who she rails against. Do you think if what when did I know she's dead? But what year did she die? Ninety nine. Do you think if she was alive for like today's time, she would have like a little nighttime TV show where she uh-huh. talks to people? Unbelievable. For sure, absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. I mean, she'd be today. She would be ninety ninety seven. So that's not <laughs> insanely old though in today's times, really. No. No, um, you got people living to be 110. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, you know, she so like not only does she have all these appearances, but she, like she carried around a scrapbook of all of her headlines that she, you know, she had like at the ready, and it was for all the cases. That she was <laughs> not only with. does she love attention, she's a narcissist. Yeah, she claimed that she, <laughs> she claimed that in her house she had an entire wall covered in letters of thanks from all the police stations that she had helped with their crimes. Like people wrote her letters of accommodation, you know. Just this like, lady has a trophy room. Yeah, she does. It's exactly what it is. Wow. Okay. Yep. Yep. Now the next story. And boy, this is the one I think that really just undoes everything that she did. This is from the Spokane Chronicle. Two detectives in Patterson, New Jersey, told the Chronicle that the psychic offered them money if they would lie to the press about her involvement in finding the body of a murdered eight-year-old boy. Mm. Patterson police detective Harold Pegg and George Brejack, now a private investigator for a New Jersey law firm, said that Allison worked with them for about a week on the case but was unable to provide any helpful information. Quote, she pointed us in all the wrong directions, Pegg said recently. The detectives worked on the case for three weeks before they discovered the child's body and arrested a suspect. On the day the body was discovered, Peg and Brejack claimed that Allison came into the detective office and openly praised the detectives for their work. Then, speaking alone with Peg and Brejack, Allison said that she wanted the story for her book and asked them to tell the press that she helped locate the child's body. Wow. Um, that really just undoes all the goodwill that she's everything. like, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Just wait. It gets worse. 
She said this was one of the most sensational child murders she'd ever been involved with, Brejack said. She said, I'll pay you good money. I'll take good care of you. I need this for my book. When they interview you on television, tell them I'm the one who told you where the body was. She's given them a script. Yep. Both men refused, and Allison was asked to leave their office, Brejack said. But it gets worse. The detective further charges that Allison asked him and Peg to give her a set of phony police reports. In quotes, she wanted me and my partner to give her false police reports that would indicate that she had something to do with solving the murder, Brejack said. I said, you must be crazy. No way in the world, man. No way. That man, the balls on this lady. They go in there and ask for fake police reports. And you can't tell me this hasn't happened. This, this isn't the first time. You don't well, just act this brazen if it's your first time asking for like a fake documentation and giving the cops a script. And yep. And this is right up there with that psychotic behavior where she claims that she did help the Atlanta police, which everybody in, in Atlanta was like, "You did nothing. You did nothing. You just took something. You, you, you didn't. You didn't do anything." And it, does, it doesn't. She doesn't. It doesn't register. She doesn't care. I watched a clip of her on Letterman, and he mentions. Like in her introduction that she helped on the Atlanta child murder case. And I'm like, no, she didn't. She was wrong. Well, the truth doesn't matter. Doesn't no. really matter as much as the person telling it does. What do, what do we so, say on this podcast all the time? Don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. She's the storyteller. She's got the story down. Yeah. It's it's just maddening. It's maddening. And, and, and the thing is, is like today it'd be all over the Internet, right? There wasn't an Internet when she was when she was active. And so like these stories would go into local you know, local newspapers, and that's where they die. So you get like a news nerd like me going through this stuff, trying to find. <laughs> it's like that. It's like that scene from Always Sunny, where Charlie and his got like red strings on the board, smoking a cigarette. That's it. <laughs> that is it. Um, so Dorothy was asked about this, and she said that the two men were lying, and that was it. She's like, they're they lying. Were. Yeah, of course they were. And, and she could just dismiss it with a wave of one. That's insane. Well, here's the killer. The killer, no pun intended. Speaking about this particular incident, Dorothy went ahead and took credit for solving the case anyway. She told a reporter that she had pointed the police in the right direction and they found the body because of her. When Brejack and Peg read this, they were furious and they went to the media with their side of the story. Did but, any major news sources pick it up? Nope. It was a local story. Didn't go anywhere. Um, and she would keep doing this for the next 20 years. <laughs> That's insane, man. Yep. Yep. She really, I don't like her at all. Um, and, and now, so you got those guys, right? And there's, there's a lot of officers that were quoted in the story that were like, no, she didn't help at all. She came in, she talked a lot. She said a lot of things about a lot of, a lot of stuff and was totally unhelpful. And we just wasted a couple of days where we could have been looking. But there's also those cops that really think she does something that she's able to really fool. Oh, Vic. Oh, yeah, Vic and but Vic and Lupo, but they don't even sound nearly as like brained as this guy. <laughs> this guy is unbelievable. This is a letter from the chief of police of Waynesboro, Pennsylvania, to Dorothy. It says, "Dear Mrs. Allison, when I was appointed to the position of chief of police in West in Waynesboro, the newspaper printed a story about your being in the area in reference to the Debbie Klein murder." And a prediction that you made in reference to the new chief. As I am a firm believer in the psychic world and am unfortunately not as familiar as I would like to be in this area, I did want to express my regard for you and your powers. Someday, I would like to become more involved and possibly develop some ability. As you predicted, I did teach at the Philadelphia Police Academy and at, a nu at a numerous community colleges. You mentioned that I may be associated with the FBI. I was associated with them in that I received training at their school during that summer uh, and the prior summer. 
I read about your latest assistance to the police and would like to thank you as a police officer for your help in police work. Enclosed is a copy of my natal horoscope. Is it appropriate for a police officer? Best wishes to you, and if we have the opportunity to meet, it will be my pleasure and honor. Signed, Jude T. Walsh, Chief of Police. Wow, you got lunatics like this running the police department? Jesus yes. Christ. <laughs> he sent her to the horoscope to make sure that his horoscope lines up with the job that he had. Uh, sounds like a 15-year-old TikTok girl. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's just like this fucking guy. Like, these are the these are the guys. These are the police officers. And it's, I mean, it was all guys at the time that she's able to kind of come over and just hit over the head and they fall for her. It's right. fucking crazy. This is she got the grandma syndrome. She's just a sweet old lady. She she's, couldn't do no harm. She's a sweet old lady that's been bribing cops to, to fucking put her, right. put her name in their mouths. <laughs> and it's like playing and praying on these like people at the worst points in their life. Exactly. Because she wants to be on fucking Oprah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, you know, the, the thing is, is like... There were psychics that showed up at police departments before Dorothy was on her grift, but um, she had such a bright spotlight for such a long time, like making all these appearances on television shows. Like she, you, it, it's really hard to believe that she didn't inspire and influence other people to get. Oh, for sure, business. for sure. To the point, and I don't know if I'd heard this anywhere else. the The first investigator on the scene of the John Benet Ramsey murder, right? They, they call the cops. This woman is the first one to show up miraculously has a psychic vision when she's in the, the home. She says in her quotes, my mind exploded. I saw black with thousands of lights. Miss Arndt said everything I noted that morning that stuck out instantly made sense. And so she's like, I went in and I had a psychic power and I know who killed her. And she was like, except like very cautious of the father. She's like, he did it. I know it's him. And I have to keep my gun close to my hip because he may try to kill me too. She left right out of soap opera. She left the, she left the police off the, the police department very soon after that and became <laughs> a uh, private detective. I couldn't find if she claimed to still be a psychic, but I would not be surprised if that was the case. But there's no way that that woman didn't know who Dorothy Allison was. Yeah. No, no fucking way. There's just no way. Um, so I just, you know, I kind of put a couple of notes at the end here and I just said, do I think she was a malicious grifter? I don't know. Um, I think she started out with good intentions, but it's, she's a grief gift grifter, you know, like she yeah. like comes in and like drinks the tears of these parents who've lost their kids. And I think that's really fucking disgusting. Right. Um, I think she was a fame seeker. I, and I think she wanted to be needed, like needed to be needed. Um, and she, she really, I think she really felt like she was connected to these kids. And the one thing I, 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 I did read that I thought was just, that really kind of put me over the edge, even more than the bribery thing is it, when she was on a case, she actually used to sleep with pictures of the kids and she would always call them my children, which I that's thought gross. was uh. fucking weird. And Ugh. I mean, uh, I didn't like that. At all. That was the dirty. It was like, ugh. That's, that feels gross. I'm not going to shower now. <laughs> but so uh, I, thought she, I didn't think she had bad intentions either until you told me about uh, the case where she was trying to bribe the cops and give them a script and get phony police reports. That sounds just like bad intentions all over. She's trying to make, she's trying to make money off this. She wants to go on Oprah and sell the story. Yeah. I, I think it's a, I don't think it's as much the, like 
someone coming out for money like our traditional grifters are, you know, that are just like, but she's money, still making money. money in an indirect way though. Yeah. And it's fame. It's, you know, she wants, she wants to be famous and she wants to be seen and she wants to be a celebrity and she wants people to, I, there's something like really vampiric about preying on, I mean, obviously all of these grifters prey on, on vulnerable people, right? Like mm-hmm. that's just, that's the MO that's been the, that that's been the one thing that's gone through every single person we've talked about. But like, there's something about like yeah, sucking up the 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 sadness of parents, you know, and, right. like, and, and the, I don't know. It's really depraved. You come in and you give them hope. Yeah, and, yeah. Or you it's tell just... them their kid's dead because you think that's doing the right thing, right? You know? And I'm just like, ah, uh, I don't feel good about that at all. This, right. this, she actually might be my least favorite person we've covered, and it didn't start that way. But by the end of this, I was like, I don't want to be anywhere near this woman. This no, no. Horror. I mean, she's. There's a certain kind of evil when it comes to like just fucking with dead kids, man. Oh yeah. my god, it just feels it feels really different than stealing people's money, you know. And I right. mean that's horrible because you're stealing people that need it, and you're getting away with it. And I understand that. That's and and it it's that's that's one thing. She is just like in this other category, using the greatest like, tragedy of somebody's yeah. life to boost her into stardom. Yep. yep. And that is, I mean, I think that's part of why I haven't really delved into the psychic world because I think that's a, it's a completely different class of grifters. And I think right. they're all like this. Like there's yeah, some heavy. of them to make a, a buck, you know, like Cleo was making a buck. She's just working. Right. It was a job, but some of them are really fucking malicious and say really, really horrible things and make horrible predictions that just ruin people's lives. Yeah, man. So that's Dorothy. <laughs> so that's Dorothy. <laughs> I know it ended in such a dark place, but I don't know how else we end these. You know, like I, yeah. there's the, most of these stories don't really have a happy ending. No, there isn't one. And it's just that's just the way it was. I mean, she she everything that she had, I think, was built on on the, the one of the oldest scams in the book, where you just throw out a bunch of stuff and see what sticks. So how did she die? What was she died of heart failure? Oh, good for her. Yeah, she died. She died in her home, surrounded by her kids and her seven grandchildren. She had three kids and seven grandkids. Um, her her husband was still alive, so you know. All right, so I have questions. Yeah. Um, her mom was also a psychic. Do you think she smartened her up? Yep. On how 100%. to do all this? Yep, I totally. And, and that whole time that I was writing this, I was thinking, her mom definitely told her how to do this. This is not a trick you pick up on your own. This is a trick that you either actively seek or you get taught. And I think that her mom definitely taught her cold reading and retrofitting yeah even if she didn't call them that yeah or she just watched her mom do it enough like i don't know her mom i didn't find a lot about her mom and one of the authors talks about dorothy's traumatic upbringing and i i didn't find anything about that you know she didn't talk much about it in her own book and there's not a lot of else you know a lot of other stuff out there about her before she starts solving all these murders and missing persons did she have a day job outside of being a psychic? No, she's just a mom. Okay. Well. That's when you know you could do that. Like, you could actually survive on one income and have a whole family and own your home. Yeah. yeah. Remember that? Yeah. You can buy a house for $500. And <laughs> you, could be a, you could be a janitor at a college and afford your mortgage and have three kids and a wife and the wife doesn't work. Yeah, that was a thing. That used to be a thing. Any other, anything else you want to know about Ms. Dorothy? Uh, I think I think uh, my heart's broken enough for these uh, families. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really it's really sad. It's you know it's sad in a couple ways too because there are families that are just dealing with this grief, and then there's families that she really gave 
that, that really believe her and like that she becomes their beacon of light. And I'm thinking, this is not who you want to put your faith in. Like, no, this is no. not that person. She doesn't deserve that. You know, like when they write these beaming notes. Um, also, it's a little questionable that she did have all those accommodations from the police, uh, the police departments around the country. She was I, asked, I 100% think she robbed them. You think everybody? I mean, at least a few. Yeah, I don't think I think Vic and Lupo really bought into it, and I think that 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 guy I read the letter from, the police chief of Westboro, oh, Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot more of those than we we would like to hope. I don't know, man. It's just uh, so opinions on psychics. You told me you don't believe in any of them, right? Nope. I'm open to the possibility. I've, I've, intuitions have brought me a. Uh, a good forward fortune. I don't know. There's, a hunch. there's, there's hunches and there's instinct, but I don't think there's psychic ability. Okay. That's fair. I, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't believe in it. You know, I, I, and I just, I, I've, I've read enough by people that are much smarter than me who have <laughs> dedicated their life to, to looking at this to say, yeah, I mean, there's usually an explanation. Maybe that makes me really cynical, but then, you know, and, and then you do look at the people who are claiming to have psychic abilities and they turn out to be, fucking grifters you know yeah. <laughs> and like in it yeah. for their own purpose i'm like yeah if you really had psychic ability you you and, and you were a decent like why do why do only shitty people get psychic powers that would be my question <laughs> right that's a good point <laughs> like, why is it like the worst of the worst like the fucking con men and these these charlatans and they're the ones that get the psychic powers but like someone nice and good you know doesn't <laughs> that's a very good point and they all use it to just enrich themselves in one yeah, way or yeah, another. Yeah, it's never for the greater good no no not at all that's what i that's that would be my argument okay that's fair i think you i think you convinced me <laughs> and to wrap this bad boy up sure all right we have friends check out our <laughs> friends at iwtv guide pod van dam wrestling cheers super fantastic x over sweet stuff and better things and hard-headed you can find I was gonna say our friends have happy podcasts, unlike us. We're the we're the grief hour. No, no, no. I, th- I think it's fun. I think I think we bring a certain <laughs> levity to these horrible things. No, I do too. I do too. <laughs> um, if you have any interest on hearing about my Cleveland adventures and maybe the Jurassic Park series as a whole, check out our friend Veronica's podcast X Saver, where I'm going to get into all that kind of stuff and things. He's talking about it in the future. He has no idea what he's going to end up talking about. <laughs> no, no, no. What time is it now? Uh, five got an hour and a half. Yeah, I got an hour and a half. We're going to record this bad boy. Uh, so check out that. Maybe coming out sometime next week. Um, How do I close these? We got Twitter. We have Twitters. You can find me on Twitter <laughs> at Catch Dalton. You can find uh, Austin on Twitter at Austin Agogo. And you can find our podcast on Twitter at Catch My Griff Pod. All right, Austin, you got anything to leave him with? I just, my new line stay beautiful. Stay beautiful and don't trust psychics. Yeah. <laughs> psychics do not exist. <laughs> I, I think I think I think we learned that today here yeah. on if you catch my grift. That's 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 how you say it when you're sick and you're low key and you're not feeling great. <clears throat> yeah, could, could you tell? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I sound like I sound like a squeaky penguin toy from Toy Story. <laughs> <laughs> my squeaker's broken. <laughs> Your squeaker is definitely <laughs> broken. <laughs> Shout out Dave Quill. Shout out Tylenol. <laughs> <laughs>
All right, y'all have a good one. Sitting in the dark, I can't forget. Even now, I realize the time will never get. Another story of the bitter pulls of fate. I can't go back again. I can't go back again. But you asked me to love you when I did. Trading my emotions for a contract to commit. And when I got away, I only got so far. Liar and voice inside my head We were never
Um, when she found out water, water break. Okay. I gotta get a thing of water. I'm about to thirst to death. <coughs> Did anybody else catch that? He said, I'm about to thirst to death. It feels like something you do on Instagram with scandalous photos. But that's just me.